you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray together as we get into God's word. Gracious God, we thank you that your word is truth. Sanctify us in your truth, we ask. Make Jesus big in our hearts today. Make Jesus big through Joshua chapter 1 today. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Well, today we are embarking on a new journey that is very, very old, some 3,300 years Old. We're going to start walking with the Israelites through this book of Joshua. And if you were with us back in 2021, does anyone remember 2021? What, what on earth has happened for the last few years? It feels like a generation ago. But if you were here with us, you might remember that actually that was when we started walking with the Israelites because we looked through the pages of the book of Exodus. And so you could say that, that Joshua really is the sequel to what we looked at back then in Exodus. And I know sequels do not particularly have a great reputation. A few weeks ago, me and Jules were thumbing through Netflix, and uh, it must have been the holidays that got to us. We, we landed on the Matrix Revolutions. I don't know what we were thinking. It did not last long. Uh, there's something about sequels that they, they never quite go well. Let me reassure you that this is uh, more of Joshua to Exodus, a little bit more like Avatar, The Way of Water, uh, The Empire Strikes Back, Toy Story 2. One of the good one of the good sequels we're going to turn to now uh, as we open up the pages of 
Exodus, and far better than any kind of cinematic sequel, what we have here in Joshua is uh, a true story, uh, real history. And that is helpful for us whenever we approach a new book of the Bible to, to take a little bit of a, a step back to think about what is it that we're actually reading here? What is it that we're actually approaching? What kind of book are we reading? And it is certainly true, real history that we're going to turn to, but it's worth knowing something about the Bibles that we have in our phones or, or in our, our, our paper form. And that is that if we, you have an English Bible, which I assume you probably brought today or have with you on your phone, uh, the English Old Testament is actually structured ordered in a certain way. It's not, not kind of just randomly thrown together. It starts with the, the law, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and then it turns to history. And that's where we find Joshua and Judges and uh, the Samuels and the Kings and the, the Chronicles. Uh, then it turns to poetry, and that's where we have Job there, and then Psalms and Proverbs, etc., etc. And then it goes to the major and minor prophets, the big ones like Jeremiah and Isaiah, and then the small ones like Micah and others. But the way that the Jews order their Old Testament in the, the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish Bible, is a little bit different than ours, and perhaps we could learn a little bit from them, because they have this book that we're going to turn to, Joshua, not in history, but in the prophets. And there's a subtle shift that happens when we approach the book as if it is prophetic, more than if it is mere history. And it's an important shift that I want to commend to us as we get started into it, because if it is mere History, we might be prone to see that it is, is distance, where this is just kind of some historical investigation that we're taking part of. But if it is prophetic, then this is, no, an acknowledgement that God is actually ordering history to say something to the world, to bring about his, his purposes. And so we lose something when we think of history as only history and not as God's purposeful, purposeful oversight of human events. And so we need to keep in mind as we open Joshua that we're not just reading a story of way back when, we're reading a story that God has designed so that you and me might know something about him, might trust in him all the more because we see things about him that we wouldn't otherwise see and that we might apply things in this book to our lives today. It is prophetic. It speaks into our lives today. And so we're going to dive in to Joshua chapter 1 today. Uh, and for those taking notes, we have three things that we are going to see that Israel needs to know before they head out on their journey. And as I said, we also are going to see that we need to know it in our lives today. Uh, the first thing that we see come up from the very first sentence in Joshua chapter 1 is that this is a book all about God's promises and not personalities. God's promises and not personalities. Did you see the abrupt way a very matter-of-fact way that this book starts. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that Moses was a man who saw God face to face. His face shone after being in the glory of the Lord. He was God's man. He was God's prophet. He was raised up through God speaking to him in the burning bush. Go and let, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Lead them out across the Red Sea. Deliver them, rescue, redeem. And Moses did just that. He stood up to Pharaoh. The plagues came at his command. Then he led his people across the dry land of the Red Sea. Then he went up the mountain and brought down the Ten Commandments after having dwelt with God face to face. 
And so if there was anyone in all of human history who might deserve just a little bit more fanfare, just a little bit more of a, a eulogy as he passes away, a little bit more than just after the death of Moses, it would be Moses. He should be revered. He should be kind of have a few chapters at least kind of detailing his life for us. And yet we simply read that Moses is now dead. As we read that, we're, we're meant to think, oh, how could... God's people go on without God's man. Well, before we passed, we read at the end of Deuteronomy that Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. And so the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And so Moses knew that he wasn't going to take his people into the promised land. And so he finds himself a successor and the baton passes to his understudy to complete what is at this point a half done mission. Joshua is here to help see it fulfilled. And so God says to Joshua, as chapter one goes on, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. And so on the one hand, it's, it's, it's a little sad that Moses, after all he's been through, after all he's led, after all he's poured out for these people, he's now suddenly been passed by quite quickly on the other hand, let's take a moment to be encouraged that even Moses is passed by quite quickly. You see, God's work in the world is not built upon certain personalities, but on God's promises. And we need to hear that today because we in the church, like the rest of the world, we have a, a tendency, don't we, to the, the, the celebritization of our leaders a tendency to lift up maybe the celebrity pastor, the celebrity scholar, the celebrity historical figure, get around the charismatic communicator. And of course, the Bible itself tells us we, we should, we should honour our leaders, we should be thankful for and celebrate their gifts. But so often the people that we should be thanking God for end up taking God's place in our lives. The Apostle Paul experienced this too in the New Testament at one point, he writes to the church in Corinth. He says, hey, don't go around saying, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter. No, no, we are mere servants of the Lord. And that's the way Moses is pitched here. He's a, a servant of the Lord. And we see this danger of hitching our faith to certain personalities, particularly when those personalities, those leaders fall short. I remember in my uh, early 20s, uh, a lot of the young adults and, and youth that I was running in and out, tribes, there were, there were certain people that we looked up to a lot. One of them was a, a very charismatic young leader who I looked up to for his, his godliness and particularly his, his faithfulness through suffering. And I uh, bumped into him once uh, backstage at a youth rally. It was in, in the green room, which might have actually been part of the problem. Uh, but we bumped into each other, and I, and I wanted to encourage him because he was such an inspiration. I said, mate, you are an inspiration. Keep going. And it turned out that just a mere few weeks after that, he was exposed for covering up some of his sin through the story of his suffering, and he was stepped down in disgrace. 
it's incredibly disappointing. And in some ways, it's right that it be disappointing because if we're going to be encouraged and spurred on by people, we're also going to be discouraged by them. But the impact that that had on the, the circles that I was in and the, the tribe I was running in at the time, the young people, it was big. People questioning whether they could still go on trusting Jesus if people could do this. See, sometimes we pin our faith to personalities in such a way that when they fall, our faith in God falls as well. That when they start deconstructing, we start deconstructing with them. But the Christian faith is not built on personalities, but on God's promises. And God is quick to move on from Moses to Joshua because it's not about Moses or Joshua. And God's going to be quick to move on. It sounds sad to say, but he's going to be quick to move on from me being the lead pastor of the church, well, hopefully in a very long time. But he's going to be quick to move on to the next pastor. God's going to be quick to move on to, from that, that preacher you podcast a lot or that author that you, you read a lot. God's going to be quick to move on because it's about his work in the world, his promises to his church. Our faith is built on promises that are eternal and unchanging. And just as the, the baton passes here from Moses to Joshua, God's people are, are readying themselves. They're on the border here of the, the promised land. And you know why it's called the promised land? It's because it's been promised. And so they're waiting for these promises to be fulfilled here on the, on the border. And uh, there's uh, something interesting we can see as we, we zoom out a little from the text, and that is that to go forward, it's as if, the story has to rewind. Because if we take ourselves back, this, the, the promise began in, to, to Abraham when he told Abraham, even though he didn't have any kids, hey, you're going to have a whole family. And through that whole family, the whole world is going to be blessed. And then, sure enough, Isaac comes along, and then Jacob, and Jacob's name turns to, to Israel, and the nation of Israel is there. He has a whole family, a whole nation. But came with the promises, this promise of the land. And that had yet to be fulfilled. And so here they are, on the edge, the border of that land. And they were enslaved in Egypt. God had judged their enemies. God had had his enemies give their stuff to the Israelites on their way out. They'd gone through the dry land across the Red Sea. And then God led them in the wilderness because of their disobedience for 40 years. And now they're here on the border. The time in the wilderness is coming to an end. To get into the promised land, they're going to have to go over a river across dry land. And then when they get in, God's going to give them the, their, the stuff of their enemies to them as they plunder the nations in Canaan. And God judges his enemies. And so the script is going to flip. Just as God's people came out of Egypt, so they're going to go in to the promised land. And we learn in the book of Deuteronomy that this technically actually could have been an 11-day journey from where they received the Ten Commandments having come out of Egypt to where they are now on the edge of the Promised Land that geographically it takes 11 days to get there. And it's as if there's been in, stuck in some kind of Google Map glitch where they've just gone round and around and around because of their unbelief and their disobedience that it has taken 40 years to get where they are. Somebody is reporting that traffic to Google. It has taken 40 years because of their unbelief, because of their sin 
And that, over that 40 years, one generation has passed, and now the new generation is here. And so to Joshua, God has a very clear message as they brace themselves there at the border. He says in, in verse 5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. And so Joshua is called again, and it's the subtitle of the series, to be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. It is the stuff that Kuron coffee cups are made of. And yet it's more than just be strong and courageous. Did you notice there's a bit of detail to this strength and this courage? And that is that God tells him that it needs to be a word-centered courage and not a worldly confidence. Because God doesn't simply leave it there. Be strong and courageous. He actually tells him how to find that strength and courage. If we read on in verse 7, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And so Joshua's strength and courage is going to come as he pays careful attention to God's law given in God's word. And we're going to see that throughout the whole book of Joshua, that when God's people go beyond God's word, well, judgment comes and their weakness is exposed. And yet when God's people stand on God's word, sometimes it looks really silly to stand on God's word. We're going to get to this story in, in Jericho where they're singing and dancing for seven whole days going around the city. You can imagine the looks they will have gotten as they did that, even between each other, and yet it leads to success. It gives them strength as God's power comes on their behalf. Now, the very same thing could be said about you and me. That Christians, we, we find our strength not in physical power, not in political power, not in strategic power or charisma, but in our commitment and the strength of our conviction regarding God's word. You might know uh, the great reformer Martin Luther. What you might not know about him is though he's famous for his courage, he was known to be a very tender, conscious, weak-willed man, that he was riddled with anxiety. He famously uh, became a monk because he was caught in a thunderstorm one day. And he was so scared in the thunderstorm that he promised crying out to God, if you save me from this and I live, I'm going to become a monk for you. And so he goes into the ministry uh, because of his fear. And then the very first time he, he got to lead communion as a, as a priest, the story goes that he was trembling the whole time and mumbling and murmuring the whole time because he was so scared about doing it wrong. And if he did it wrong, he thought God was going to strike him dead. He's a very tender conscience. But what that Luther, that same Luther, fearful and timid as he was, is most famous for is actually standing up to the church 
elites of the day, the, the religious elites who themselves had behind them the whole political establishment. And he was famously having preached and written and sent his letters out across Germany. He was called in to give an account for what he was teaching because he was teaching this, this thing called justification by faith, that you and I can be right with God by trusting in Jesus and not by performing for Jesus. And so he's brought in to, to, to recant and give an account for what he was teaching at the time. And as he stood before the council that was judging him, which included the emperor of the day, who at a word could have had his head chopped off, he was called to recant. And you see the struggle in him between his weakness and his strength. And so he asked, can I, can I have 24 hours? Can you, can you give me time to think about it? And so it's, it's not this kind of dramatic standing up to the authorities. He has to actually go away and consider it. And he's weighing up. What would be the consequences of standing firm? What would be the consequences of recanting? And he walked back into that courtroom, that council the next day. And he gave this iconic line. My conscience is captive to the word of God. Thus, I cannot and will not recant. Because acting against one's conscience is neither safe nor sound. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. And so he was strong and courageous by conviction. Joshua, Martin Luther, you and me. We need, we're called to have that kind of strength and courage. We need that kind of conviction and closeness to God's word. If we're going to stand with strength and courage in our own day today. Strength and courage to be faithful to God's word, even if, as Jesus tells us will happen, the world counts our love as hatred. Strength and courage to persevere when our convictions are questioned and, and challenged or particularly when they start costing us. Strength and courage to keep preaching grace, keep pouring out love, keep proclaiming the gospel as good news for the world, good news for sinners like me and like you, when so many other messages, isolationism, religious elitism, political power are calling for our attention. And we need to say, here I stand. I can do no other. And so like God calls Joshua, let's not let this book depart from our mouths. Let's meditate on it day and night and be careful to do all of it. And it's important we see that at the beginning of this journey through Joshua because as, as Pat said earlier, Joshua, the story that we're going to see, has become kind of famous because these days it's attached to the, the conquests as God calls his people to head into Canaan and rid it of the Canaanites. And it raises questions for us. It raises controversy for us. And we can think of that. Well, that's, that's what it's, it's all about. We need to approach this and just think about how to answer that warfare. What we see in chapter 1 here is that the weightiest sword the people carried was not the, the shining sword that they had hitched to their side, but the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. They were called to be close to it, to be convicted by it, to walk with it, to stay true to God in the midst of half-heartedness and idolatry 
And so we need this word-centered courage. Not just a, a worldly courage in our own abilities, our own resources, but one that leans on God's word in obedience. And that call, that challenge, as it so often does in Scripture, always comes with a great promise. And here in chapter 1, there's, there's another great promise that comes out throughout the whole chapter. And that is that they're going to receive strength and courage because God will be with them. Did you notice that, that great verse in chapter 5, uh, verse 5, sorry. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And then again in verse 9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then right at the end of the chapter, just as God's people are responding to this call, they tell Joshua, just as we obeyed Moses Moses in all things, we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And so we have here, thirdly, the promise of the personal presence of God and not just some kind of deistic distance. Deism is the belief that often gets confused with Christianity today, that that God set the world in motion. He built it, he created it, then he stepped back out of it and just let it happen. And so he's kind of, he's up there, he's watching, he's waiting to see how this all plays out, but he's not intervening, can't really do much. His, His hands are certainly tied from intervening. Not so for the biblical God, the God who is actually there, because he promises here his his personal presence to be with Joshua and the people, just as he was and just as he promised to Moses in the burning bush. And what we should take heed of here and be encouraged by is that we're some 3,300 years into the future from when these events happened, but we get a particular insight into the book of Joshua and what this means, because we get to have lived after Jesus has come into the world. And it helps explain what is going on here. You know, there are some names that are very significant in the Bible. There are some names, aren't there, that they're just particularly fitting the role that a person is going to play in the world. And I've seen uh, online recently, you know, there's some people in the world right now that just, they have names that are perfect for what role they're playing in the world right now. I think I have some, some pictures of his, his Phil McCann reporting from outside a petrol station. It's just, just perfect, fitting that he'd be named Phil McCann. I think here's, here's Andrew Drinkwater, who works for a water research centre. It's just, he knew what he was going to do when he grew up, and, and this was it. Here's Rob Banks, who's a cop. He's a police officer. He had a conversion experience, obviously, and, and wanted to capture the guys who were robbing banks. And here's my favourite, one that's close to home, Amy Parks, reporting out of the front of Amy Park. It's just fitting, isn't it? She knew one day there's going to be this moment where she grows up and she's outside the front of Amy Park. And there she is reporting. Some names are incredibly fitting. We should know that far more seriously, far more meaningfully, when there are characters in the Bible, because of what I said at the beginning, we know hey, God's, God's put them here for a reason. And he often he brings a name that is attached to, to why he has them there and what role he wants them to play. And so Joshua, very fittingly, his name means God rescues, God saves. And then if you know Christmas, the nativity story well, 
or any, you've heard of it at all, you know that there was an angel that came and said, hey, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. Jesus is the Greek version of the name Joshua. Jesus is the name Joshua, born into the world that he might save. Now, isn't it fascinating as we open up the the book of Joshua that when the second person of the Trinity decided to take on flesh and come and walk amongst us and live our life for us and die our death in our place, God said, you shall call him Joshua, Jesus, God saves. Because Jesus, just like Joshua, he defeats our enemies. Jesus, just like Joshua, he he leads his people into the great promised land of eternal rest. Jesus, just like Joshua, wins for us salvation from, only this time even better, the infinite problem of our sin and its eternal consequences, death. And we know that that same Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, he promises He is never going to leave us nor forsake us. That He is going to be with us. And so we should always take note of how the New Testament helps understand the Old Testament. We should always take note, particularly when someone from the New Testament, one of the apostles who who wrote the part of the New Testament, goes back into the Old and and picks out a, a, a verse and wants to interpret it centuries later. Because it helps us understand what's going on way back when. There's a particular example in the end of the book of Hebrews where the the author there, uh, Hebrews is a sermon, so the preacher there is is trying to compel his people to obey God, to to flee the love of money. We'll we'll see in a moment. It says this in, in Hebrews 13, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And so see what he's saying. He's saying that, hey, just as how God said to Joshua, I'm not going to leave you nor forsake you. So so be strong and courageous. Go forth. Be obedient to my word. So too now in the first century when this is written is, hey, God says he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. So, So go forth into the world. Be obedient. Be strong and courageous. Fight the love of money. Fight for contentment in your heart. And so too today in the 21st century, you and I can read this and say, God says to us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And so we can go forth into our lives grasping God's word and be strong and courageous in wanting to live it out in our lives. You and I can know the very same personal presence of the Lord with us, just as he was with Joshua. And just like Joshua, that same presence should keep us obedient to God's word. It should give us strength and courage. That God is with us, we see in Hebrews protects the purity of our heart. That God is with us should keep us from from discontentment. Even in the midst of a world that's that's drunk on discontentment, that are always crying out to tell us that we need more. 
full of its desire and ambition and envy and greed and impatience. And so know that Joshua 1, incredibly, it, it, it applies to your life today. God will never leave you nor forsake you. And let that reality free you from greed, free you from envy. Let it hit right down to change your very heart, the desires of your heart. And let that reality bring you to God's word, to be strong and courageous in standing upon it, to be convicted about it, to obey it in your life today. It reveals to us, doesn't it, the the opposite is also true, that, that disobedience is true weakness, that ignoring God's word is the cowardly option. Manipulating, changing the Bible just so that we can do what we really want to do is the most or the epitome of timidity and weakness. And yet when we read Joshua chapter 1, when we see its application for our lives, why, why would we want to? Because here is a God who just like he's done for Israel, he's called us out of slavery, our slavery to our sin. Here is a God who has journeyed with us through our own wilderness of unbelief, of doubts and fears and complaining. Here is a God who has saved us and called us into his promised land of eternal rest where we can finally stop working to be accepted and live from acceptance. And here's a God who promises to never leave us nor forsake us because his own son, Joshua, Jesus, has left the glory of heaven that he might come down and experience the glory of the cross in your place and in my place so that we might know the personal presence of this God now and for eternity. And so how could we not be strong and courageous for him? How could we walk away from his word that gives us life? How could we not try to put off everything that gets between us and our love and affection for God. And so know the the power of God's promises. And over the next nine weeks, we're going to see the power of God's promises, not just mere personalities. Be strong and courageous over and against a worldly confidence. And know God's personal presence with you, for you, never leaving nor forsaking you because he forsook you. Jesus, in your place. You have a clean slate. You have the rest of your life as a cherry on top of what Jesus has already accomplished for you and saved you from. You can rest now in that good news, knowing that God is with you and for you. As we're going to see over these next nine weeks, our need for all these things on this journey and it's going to be good for us because Joshua points us to the true and better Joshua, Jesus himself. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are writing a story in the world and it's a story of good news for great sinners. Lord, we are sorry for our sins. We are sorry for the ways like Israel. We, we wander in the wilderness of, of unbelief <clears throat> and a lack of confidence in you. Lord, we pray that you might replace that with a strength and a courage in you and in your word 
because your word is, is so full of goodness and grace for us. That you, in spite of having seen our sin, have come near to us by sending Jesus for us to save us. Sending Jesus to lead us into the promised land of eternal rest in you. Sending Jesus to defeat our enemies of, of sin. Lord, we pray that we might grasp you in your word and that the call you gave to Joshua on that day, Lord, we might heed by your Holy Spirit today. And so help us be strong and courageous and help us know that you are with us, never to leave us nor to forsake us. Lord, may that be the air that we breathe. May that be the foundation from which we live our lives, that you are for us in Jesus, that you are with us in Jesus. you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.